Faith is Not Blind podcast. I'm Sarah Devonier, and we're here in Fairfax, Virginia, where we're talking to more people who have dealt with complexity in different ways. And today we're talking to James. Welcome, James. We're happy to be talking to you. Oh, it's great to be here. Let's talk a little bit about your childhood in the church. What would you say makes your childhood stand out um, as a member of the church? Well, I grew up in very rural Wyoming. It was a town of 1,200 people. Um, but that would make it unique, definitely. Yeah, 40 miles to the next town. And, and yet there were a lot of churches in the town that I grew up in, mm -hmm. including our ward. We had a full ward uh, in a town of 1,200 people. So, As you think of your childhood in this Wyoming town, mm -hmm. what do you remember about going to church? What stands out to you? Oh... Well, it was right across a gully from where I lived. I used to walk, right? We used to walk down the hill to the, through the gully and, and very prairie, right? Literally <laughs> yeah. deer and antelope out there yeah, on a Sunday morning. Yeah, not many morning. people can tell a story um, about their childhood with the word gully <laughs> in it. So that's, that's, right, that's great. Know? So you go through the, uh, right, maybe a metaphor there, right? You go through the gully and, and up to church. Um, but a very warm and very loving ward. You knew everybody. You knew everybody in the whole town, but you knew everybody in the ward really well. So it was a very close, very tight-knit community. So when did you feel like you had the first little, maybe, flame of a testimony? Do you, do you remember a moment? Oh, I do. I do. So um, my, my parents, like a lot of parents in the church, encouraged me to read the Book of Mormon. And I, I remember starting when I was seven. I finished it after I was baptized, when I was eight. Wow. But it really was a powerful experience for me where I used to, I used to lay out. I had the scriptures there right under my nightlight. And every night I would I would read the scriptures, and it was it was retroactively. In fact, it was after praying and expecting at the end of reading the Book of Mormon to have the angel Moroni come and tell me that the church is true. It, it was, but 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 retro, retrospectively, especially because I stopped reading the scriptures, I realized what an edifying experience that was, and and it was in the wake of that that I decided, well, I'm going to continue. And, and so that nightly ritual of reading the scriptures, I think, is, is as, as a young child, was where I first started to, to feel that connection and, and, and recognize yeah. that I could connect. When you talk about reading them by a nightlight, mm. which, again, is another metaphor. If you have the metaphor of going through a gully sure. or reading them <laughs> with a nightlight, was, you, you talked about maybe not reading the scriptures as much later. What, what happened? Well, I, I, meant, I meant in the immediate wake. So I finished yeah. the Book of Mormon. I thought I was done. Oh, I'd done it. I had, I had read oh, so the Book of Mormon. so you thought you had crossed a finish line. Yeah, exactly. I crossed finish line. And so there was a couple of months there where I wasn't reading and I was a little discouraged, again, a very childish kind of way, but a little discouraged that the Angel Moroni hadn't come to me. <laughs> um, didn't really make that big of a difference, right? Uh, but, but I was a little discouraged. And, but, but, but I do, I can, I can keenly remember feeling a lack and recognizing even it. as an eight-year-old as an eight-year-old mm -hmm. recognizing hey that was a special thing to do and I felt good doing it and I felt a, a connection and so, so you so you maintained that I did I, I picked it back up yeah yeah so as you got a little bit older mm -hmm. what were some of the goalies that you had to cross mm. well and that's that's the thing I, I feel like I've realized that uh, that there's no end to goalies um, <laughs> In, life, in Wyoming and in, and, and in life. Yeah. Um, so I, 
I, I grew up, I was, I was a little, I was a bit wild uh, in some respects as a teenager, but, but you know, certain commandments, you know, I, I held to very, very strictly. Uh, but where I grew up in Wyoming, there, we, we moved, and I didn't have a lot of friends my age in the church. My friends were all out of the church, and Wyoming at the time where I was didn't have the best culture, I think, in terms of teenage activities and, you know, the, the drugs and the drinking and such. Uh, and even though I, I, you know, I withheld myself from that, I was constantly surrounded by others who were not of my faith and, and others who lived very differently than I did. And, and that was, was a, a, I suppose, a, a bit of a difficulty, but, you know, I went on my mission. I, I had an absolutely wonderful mission, had a wonderful mission president, two of them, um, a, a wonderful experiences there. And while I was on my mission, I, I ran into a couple of people. One was a philosophy professor, another was somebody who'd minored in philosophy, another uh, hadn't done philosophy uh, as, as a discipline but was very familiar with philosophy, and uh, I remember trying to teach them, and they would ask questions, and I didn't even understand their questions, let alone have any idea how to answer them. But they were very smart, they were very engaging, they were very compelling, and that tripped me up right, that, that I really didn't know how to address, and I didn't know anybody who did. In fact, I remember one of the gentlemen who said, you know, one of the difficulties here is you're starting with a basic assumption that I believe in God, <laughs> but I don't. So what do you have to say to me? And I didn't have anything at the time to say. Um, and so that began, I, I, I know, a process of my really beginning to think about these things, and I was really intrigued by philosophy because I didn't know it was an academic discipline, right? I just thought it was like Stephen Covey, kind of what's your take on life, right? Or, or you know, these sorts of things. So I determined when I went back to BYU I would study philosophy, and I did. And it opened up uh, right, a whole new world and way of looking at things. And, and again, it's, it's not that the, the goalies were necessarily nefarious, right. but I, I was constantly confronted with my lack of knowledge, my lack of understanding, and not knowing anybody that I could turn to who could give me answers to the questions yeah. I had. How did studying philosophy help you navigate maybe the smaller goalies and the bigger ones? What, what was it mm. about that approach to knowledge just epistemologically right. that helped you? Well, I mean, you know, it was, it was a mixed bag because on, on the one hand, it made me ask questions that I never asked before. That you didn't even know were there. I didn't yeah. even know were there, but I felt compelled to try to answer. Um, but at this same time, the resource, of course, I'm, I'm biased. I now teach philosophy, right? I mean, I continued on, on there, and I feel like philosophy offers incredible tools in part for recognizing the complexity of life, the complexity of things, the complexity of the geography and possible positions you might take up. Um, and it was watching certain professors that I was very close to at the time, and, and again in graduate school, who had this ability to take a position that they didn't themselves affirm, and yet affirm the legitimacy of that position and, and, and the way that, that those positions challenged them and, and that they appreciated the challenge that it came was something yeah. that was very helpful to me. So as a philosophy professor and yeah. obviously someone who loves it and teaches oh, it, yes. how would you apply that to gospel topics, that, that idea of 
understanding and exploring maybe even mm -hmm. things that you might, a position you might not hold. How do you, how do you see as, that as something that could be fruitful for someone exploring gospel topics? Well, um, one thing to say is, is you, you very quickly, well, one thing that I realized fairly early on was it wasn't necessarily helpful for everyone. Um, <laughs> right? It, it just, philosophy in general. It, and <laughs> yeah, and, so my wife hates philosophy. Um, now, we'll, we'll have wonderful conversations that are very philosophical as long as I don't ever let her know, hey, this is a topic in philosophy, right? Um, but uh, it, it isn't necessarily for everyone. Uh, but for me, one of the things that it has done is it's made me read the scriptures differently. It makes me listen to general conference differently. It makes me think differently about subjects. But I, I had to get comfortable with the fact that um, not everybody cared and, <laughs> and, and it wasn't necessarily going to be beneficial for, for, for everyone else. But it was for me an enriching experience to uh, look at the scriptures differently and to recognize there are depths and there are complexities here. There, there, there's a richness is, is what yeah. it is. There's a richness there that I gained access to by slowing down, yeah. interrogating, uh, and, and, and breaking things so down. So let, let's talk about that a little bit, especially mm. for people who maybe aren't philosophical, because I have this image of you as a little boy reading scriptures, right. and then compared to you reading scriptures now, mm -hmm. you, you say it changed it and enriched it how in specific ways? Yeah, so I, I love Nephi. And just as an example, my relationship with Nephi, I feel has been very complicated uh, <laughs> as my life. It, I keep using that word, I, I shouldn't so much. Um, but, you know, I started out loving Nephi and, and him being a hero uh, and then changing and realizing, you know, I actually am not sure I like this guy. Uh, I don't necessarily like the way that he approached his brothers. I don't necessarily mm -hmm. like some of the choices that he made. Um, but but going through it, and I feel like I've had this sustained dialogue with Nephi throughout mm -hmm. my life. And the dialogue is different each time I go to the scriptures. In part, like we like to talk about because my life has changed, but in part because I ask different questions yeah. of Nephi. And, and yet I can recognize with whatever differences or disagreements I have with Nephi, I, I realize this model of a life that was powerful where he was connected mm. to something greater than himself. And I, I respect that and I admire that. Uh, and, and that's something I, I think that's very concrete. I have this ability to look at Nephi and, and again, my, my, my thoughts and feelings about Nephi change, mm. but always recognizing there's something admirable here and there's something that yeah. I'm able to get from this. Well, I noticed you used the word sustained, a sustained dialogue, and yeah. maybe that's yeah. what philosophy does. It, you, you keep having a dialogue. There, right. there aren't necessarily any absolute answers, and maybe that's yeah. why your wife hates it. Right, well, it's something that drives my students, some of my students crazy, right? You say, okay, now look, we're gonna ask some of these questions and say political philosophy, and well, these are what the ancient Greeks we're asking and look, we're still asking them today and people, well, what do you mean? We've been asking these questions for 2,500 years and we haven't answered them yet? And well, so, yes, that's exactly it. So what's the joy that comes through asking questions that don't have answers then for you? Uh, well, one of the things that uh, I think we begin to recognize and that you see in the scriptures is that the Lord asks questions of us. Uh, there's something that, that l the demand of a question is potent and powerful. 
and just the, the exertion, the striving, the to, the to try to find it. And, yeah. and you see it in the scriptures, right? That trying to find the answers uh, to questions. And so many of our, our prophets, right? Nephi, Enos, these others, uh, they they have questions, they have challenges that they don't have an answer to, and that's what that's what Joseph Smith got much of the doctrine and covenants from, right? From asking questions. So so questions are very potent. They're very powerful in our lives. Um, but it brings a kind of humility. Uh, one, I recognize, yeah, these people back in what we like to call ancient times, they were as smart as we are, and they wrestled with challenges. And part of what this life is, is wrestling with challenges that we can't quite answer. Uh, that actually takes a great deal of the pressure off of you, I think, <laughs> right? Uh, if, if, and this is where... In college, I, I did feel a great deal of pressure. I've got to know, metaphysically, right? Does it work like this or does it work like this? And I don't know, and, and nobody can answer this question for me. And you feel kind of in, the, in this pressure cooker, but to realize, well, yeah, this is actually part of the mortal experience, that we're finite uh, and, and, and we're not gonna completely know, but, but you do make progress. There's a kind of existential progress, yeah. I think, that you make yeah. in terms of, of learning how to live well by asking these questions. Yeah, that, that maybe to go back to the goalie, it's a philosophical goalie too, that it isn't just getting to the other side. Why did the right. chicken cross the road? Right, I mean, right. it's, part of a, it is crossing. Yeah, it's, it's the effort, the exploration. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, now that you're a father, how many kids do mm. you have? I have eight. Eight. So, so eight kids. Yep. And how do you teach your kids, or not how do you teach them, how do you strive? to teach them so that they can explore goalies on their own. Yeah. How, how do you at least try to do that? Yeah, well this is definitely one of the goalies, right? This is one of the difficulties in life in part because uh, you have a pile of children and uh, you, think, you think, gee, you're raising them all together in the same household with the same values and yet they are individuals and they do react different mm -hmm. and their questions are different and, and the salience of the questions are different for them. And, and so what works with one doesn't necessarily work with the other. Uh, one of the things that I feel has been a, a, a successful thing uh, that my wife and I have been able to do is to help them to recognize and experience the sacred, mm. the holy, that there are things in life that aren't the everyday, they're not the mundane, they are different and they are elevated and they elevate us. There are places, there are times, there is the Sabbath, for instance, right? Sacred time. I love yeah. Abraham Heschel who talks about sacred time. Um, and uh, so, so those kinds of practices and rituals that, that we've sustained uh, in, in our family now, things like third hour in, in church, um, are, are sacred and, and that's important. But uh, it's really challenging. It's really challenging when you have some children who are very responsive to it and others who, who aren't. And uh, trying to, trying to get to them individually um, is hard. And, and of course, they ask difficult questions. I'll never forget my six-year-old daughter asking me, Dad, where is God's beloved daughter? And she wasn't trying to throw me off. She wasn't, she was a perfectly innocent six-year-old, but her question <laughs> hit me like a ton of bricks, right? And it's something I've had to, to wrestle with and I continue to wrestle with. And to try to, right, answer her questions has been very difficult. So um, I, I, think, I think trying to, to have them see the sacred, but also helping them to see, I don't know all the answers. Yeah. And, and here's what I do when I don't know the answers. 
Yeah, so let me ask you one last mm. question. Mm -hmm. This, you'll probably see what I'm doing here, but yeah. but you talked about um, how embracing the difficulty and 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 exploring the questions brought richness. So yeah. Yeah. you use that same word to talk about trying to raise your children with with holiness yeah. and to get them to recognize the holiness. So how does that difficult help difficulty in trying to reach your children individually and to answer their questions? How does that pursuit add richness to your own pursuit? Well, this is where I feel like the restoration gives me a, a framework that is as powerful as anything I've come across. We've got this, idea, you know, it's funny because we Mormons, we have a reputation and I think it's well-deserved that we're very chipper, we're very happy um, and all this. And, and yet, when you look at our narratives, we, oh, the Book of Mormon yeah. deals with two different genocides. It's ultimately a failure. Now, it's a failure that, that makes prophecies of hope, but the people fail. And our, our cosmic narrative of the pre-mortal life is one where our parents are trying to reach their children and fail mm -hmm. in some sense, right? I mean, I don't mean necessarily an ultimate sense of failure, but, but those difficulties are real. And yeah. that's, that's our founding narrative of, of, of what's going on. So to be able to look at somebody like Adam and Eve, and I, I only have the greatest respect for Adam and Eve, I think they were probably fabulous parents, but their children went very different ways. Um, so I appreciate that we don't tell simplistic stories. We tell these really wrenching, poignant stories, and uh, I'm able to see that reflected in my own life. Uh, so part of it is just a recognition of, yes, this is what you're involved in. The, if you're going to partner in this alliance of, you know, with, with your heavenly parents, this is it, right? This is what you're involved yeah. in. And what a beautiful thought that, well, beautiful and tragic that if there's a possibility for redemption, there was probably a fall yeah, too. Yeah, that's right. A need for redemption. Uh, and this is, this is part of, I think, grappling with our finitude and our mortality. Yeah. Thank you for talking to us. You've given us a lot to think about, and I, I appreciate thinking about the gullies of Wyoming. I'll be thinking about that for a long time. Thank you so well, much. Thank you, Sarah.